It's time for Hall of Fame broadcaster Al Bernstein to interact with some of the most fascinating big-name guests from the world of boxing and well beyond. Here's Al. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. On this edition, we will get a chance to talk to Leonard Ellerby, who is the CEO of Mayweather Promotions, the company he founded with Floyd Mayweather. It's a company that is promoting a number of major figures in the sport of boxing, including, of course, Gervonta Davis, who just recently had his major fight with Mario Barrios up at 140 pounds after Davis had won titles at 130 and 135 pounds. So we had a chance to talk to Leonard about the company, about his history with Floyd Mayweather, and other matters about boxing. Here it is. Leonard, uh, we're uh, not long after uh, what was uh, a pretty extraordinary event in Atlanta featuring Javante Davis, of course, um, the star of your Mayweather promotion stable, uh, in which he moved up to 140 and beat Mario Barrios in front of a huge crowd in Atlanta. One of the stories about that is, in fact, that huge crowd in Atlanta, a city that was never really a boxing city that much. He has tapped into something uh, special there, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Um, he's, he's, he's been able to have a connection with um, this younger generation. I mean, you know, the, this younger generation, um, they've, especially in, in the urban areas, they've um, been to a lot of similar things that he's experienced, you know, as a, as a kid growing up. Right. Look, and he's a very, very relatable young man. Um, again, he's a he's a guy that you know the, the fans feel, especially the kids, you know, coming from the poverty-stricken areas. He's someone that they can reach out and touch. You know, he's in the neighborhoods with the kids, whether it's playing basketball or you know at the rec centers, or, mm-hmm. you know, and he's very active in his community. But just overall, you know, even with when it comes to the um, the artists, you know, um, you know, some of the, the top artists in the, in the in pop culture. Right. He has relationships with, you know, and it's it's all about him being able to connect and his fighting style. His his fighting style is because what oftentimes has gotten kind of lost in in boxing. Boxing is is a great form of entertainment, you know, and and he's brought that excitement back that I think that has been missing from the sport where you where he's must see TV and um, he's been able to have ability to connect with the fans and and his base is just growing and growing each and every fight. Yeah, he's created a lot of exciting moments and you you, you hit on the fact that and Marl pointed this out on the broadcast um, about how his uh, connection with the hip hop community uh, and a lot of the artists that you talked about have kind of paved the way for um, him to to kind of gain this popularity. Yeah, it definitely has. Um, it, and also it, it helps having Floyd Mayweather, you know, right by right. your side. Yeah, that's that, true. That, that does major, not hurt him. Major, major impact, you know, on Tank's success. I, and, and I can't overstate that enough because obviously – with Floyd, Floyd being a mainstream mega star, and and Floyd gave him the actual stamp, you know, um, it's it's really really has impacted his uh, star power, 
you know, to go along with all the other things we had mentioned, you know, and I, and I can't say enough about what a wonderful job Calvin Ford has done, you know. Right. That's true. Calvin is uh, his trainer who has uh, helped uh, Gervonta kind of grow as a fighter. One of the interesting things in that fight uh, against uh, Barrios, uh, of course, he was moving up in weight and uh, was that and, and he was facing a height and reach disadvantage. Something that kind of also goes under the radar a little bit with Gervonta Davis, and that is that while he is a powerful puncher and he is does create these exciting moments, it's not as if he ignores the nuances of boxing. And there are a lot of subtleties that go on in the ring with him that sometimes people don't notice. Yeah, that's true. Um, actually, as it relates to skills, Javante Davis has just about as much skills as anybody in the entire sport. He's right up there. And, and, and I mean that, I mean, he has, his skill set is unbelievable, but he hadn't had to go in his toolbox because he has, he has, his, his, his menacing style and, and he puts all kind of mental pressure on these fighters and he's, he's tough to deal with. You know, he comes in in great shape and he gives the fans exactly what they want, exactly what they want to see from the opening bell. So now he has gone up to 140 and won a very important fight, and uh, he's performed at a high level in three different weight classes, 130, 135, and 140. And now, of course, the world is wondering if some of the fights at 135 that people so badly want to see can be made. I know one of the fights that, uh, that people are talking about He's tweeted about it. Uh, you guys have kind of indicated an interest in it. And in fact, I think even negotiated some for it is Ryan Garcia, also a big puncher. And uh, he brings to the table something as well in this matchup. Is that a fight that you think is makeable? Um, this is my honest opinion. I think the yeah, kid. Yeah, what do you think? I think the kid, I think the kid he'll fight. He, I think he'll fight. But Oscar and them don't want to do it. You know, um, Oscar's a clown, you know, and just today he did a video and, and said some, it just made an ignorant statement about uh, that uh, Tank didn't do over 90,000 by some just foolish like that. But again, that's just, again, that's a, a tactic used to, again, to downplay Tank. And, and nobody's even paying him no attention. Again, I, I challenged him to a bet you know, uh, publicly, which I'm, I'm sure he'll decline because, again, he just just sounds just it's foolish. But that, you, you know, there's always a way you can say that, you know, you don't want to do something. You, you know, Ryan has publicly said that, you know, hey, he he wants to do it. So that's up to Ryan to figure out that part with his promoter to get his promoter in line. And, but we're going to continue to do what we need to do. And that's continue to build our young superstar. You know, Tank is become a, um, a a big time attraction and we just continue to look to grow his base and, and fight in the biggest and best fights that we can for the most money. You know, um, Tank is, he's, he's a bona fide ticket seller. Um, he's a, he, he's a, the most exciting fighter in the entire sport and the fans love to see him, you know, in action. And so we're gonna, again, I reiterate, Tank's willing to fight any and everybody out there, but you know, some things are realistic and some things 
aren't realistic. Like for, I'll give you another example. Um, like even mentioning the name of the Lopez kid. You can't even have a constructive conversation with someone like that because he's just delusional. You know, it, it's like, it, it's, it's that he, the kid has never even been, he's never even been the A-side in, in an event. He's never even been the A-side in an event. You know, he thinks he's a draw and he actually isn't. You, you know, um, given the time top rank, I'm sure we'll try to build him into being that, but that just doesn't happen overnight. You, you know what I'm saying? He thinks just because they did a, a rating with the biggest fight that they could possibly make on a network that, you know, has well over a hundred million, um, you know, so it's like when you put it in the context of just like, again, the delusion, you know, how delusional him and his dad are, you can't even have a conversation about anything because, again, he actually believes that he's the, the A side to a situation. And it's just, just because you, you, you have three belts, that don't mean anything. I mean, it means something. It means that you, you have belts, but Tank don't need belts. Tank, Tank don't need belts. You know, is there, yeah, is is a most of the equation about the uh, the commerce of it, or is there a way for some of these fights that seem interesting and uh, and competitive? Uh, is there is a way to make them happen to get past the commerce and past the? Well, well, it's always, but but see these. See, I understand the business side of it. Right. You know, I understand the business. Anybody tank fights is going to generate a lot of revenue. Mm. Okay. We don't even know what these guys can do. Right. I mean, for an example, this is for an example. He went over to Triller, went over to Triller, and they had an event uh, at the Marlins Park in, in, in Florida. And I think that they the, the venue, I want to say, is 34... 34,000, and they had a scale down to 20,000. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, do you know, as of fight week, they hadn't sold 1,800 tickets? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. And then, then mysteriously, and I don't, again, I'm not saying that the kid didn't come up with, you know, with, with uh, COVID. I'm not even going to entertain any of that, but right. the facts are, that he didn't sell any tickets. So nobody knows that, that, what any of these guys bring to the table. You, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So, so again, you, you know, it's hard to have a conversation or even entertain any of this delusion. Like even with the, with the Oscar situation, you, you right. know, we, we reached out to them and they told, you know, I put it out there exactly what the conversation was. They're not, they're not looking to put Brian Garcia in a fight with Javante Davis. That's not something that they're looking to do. Okay. So we're, uh, and obviously, you know, we're, we're looking forward to his next fight. Javante is going to fight this year though, correct? Most definitely in a couple yeah. months. And what, if you had to guess what weight he would fight at, and maybe it's not a guess, you probably know. What, uh, what do you think he would Don't fight? Don't know. We'll, we'll have a conversation. And All right. He has a plethora of options. So, you know, whatever, you know, me, Floyd, him, me, Floyd, Tank, and Al sit down and talk about, you know, We'll come up with, you know. Okay. Well, he certainly uh, the uh, the Barrios event was uh, exciting, and uh, 
um, and was, uh, you know, turned into a, a fascinating boxing match in addition to all the all the the uh, excitement around the event. Uh, you you had an interesting uh, one of your Mayweather promotion fighters was involved in a very interesting fight, a great fight actually. Louis Arias, who uh, fought Jared Hurd, former champion at 154 pounds, it was on the undercard of the uh, Floyd Mayweather uh, Paul fight, and it was a fight that you know. Uh, most of us that looked at that fight thought it was going to be an interesting fight. It really looked like it was going to be an interesting fight. You were very adamant that Arias had more than a good chance to win. And in fact, he did win in what I consider one of the fights of the year. What gave you that confidence to know that he was going to perform at that level? Well, unlike a lot of promoters, um, I'm actually in the gym with our guys. I'm, I'm in the gym, you know, between meetings and everything. I'm in the gym all the time, you know, watching my guys and watching their preparation. So I know firsthand, you know, what they're doing. You, right. you know, Floyd checks on them, and I do too. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm in the gym when Tank is training. I'm in the gym when Arias is training. All of our guys. Yeah. You know, not every day, but I'm in there checking on yeah. them consistently. And it's just, you know, welfare checks and, you know, just just sure. noticing the preparation, seeing if they're doing things the right way. Because, you know, it's, it's like they they trust they, they, they trust my experience and being around at the highest level and understanding what preparation is like. So, you know, um, I knew firsthand because I he the work that he had getting ready for, for her. And one was our youngster that we just signed, Jaleel Hackett. He's one of the top prospects in the, in the sport. And he's only had one fight. He's only had one fight. But he's, he's going to be an excellent young fighter. And I knew he would be able to push him. And that's just one of the guys. He had three very good sparring partners. Yeah. And, and those youngsters, they're eager to get in there and prove a point. And they push well, the sparring, the sparring at the Mayweather gym is kind of legendary for its ferocity. Yes, that's so true. Yeah, that's so, so true. I, I was able to witness the preparation, yeah. you know, firsthand, and I was very confident that, you know, that he would get the job done. You know, um, he did that. You know, I told him, "Don't worry." I told him, "Don't even worry about the weight. Don't even worry about the weight. If we if if we, if we got to fight him at 160, you're gonna win the fight. You just just keep doing what you're doing." Well, it was a very exciting fight. One of the really, as I say, one of the one of the best of the year. One of the other fighters that you guys uh, promote, who is uh, uh, very talented, and uh, I, I shouldn't say this because I don't want people to think I, I, I in any way play favorites. But just as a young man, he's a delightful young man, and that's Angelo Leo uh, at 122 pounder, who uh, was a champion, lost his championship in a, a very exciting fight uh, against Fulton. Uh, and, and, and came back and got a, a hard fought win against a very good opponent. Uh, and he seems to me to be the kind of young man that just when he's involved in your promotions, you're kind of rooting extra hard for him to, to do well. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, me, me and Floyd are just a little different from maybe some of these other promoters. We're very passionate about our, our, our fighters and, and what we're doing, helping them with their careers. And, you, you know, so, 
you know, Angelo Leo, he came to us, you know, a, a few years ago, and he was he was homeless. Yeah, that he was. Yeah, yeah, sleeping out, you know, living out of his car. His dad. He was looking for an opportunity, and we watched the kid work in the gym, and so we gave him an opportunity, and so we we pull for the underdogs. You, you know, that's what that's what we do. This, and that's just that's just you know something with life. You you want to see the guy who who did, who hasn't achieved everything as an amateur be able to somehow work his way through things through hard work and and dedication and get an opportunity and make the most of that opportunity. Because, you know, a young man like him, he's extremely appreciative, you know, him and his dad, that he's in a great position. You know, he's fighting in a, in a, 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 a supremely talented yeah. division, you know, and you can mix and match and make a, a, a ton of great fights for, you know, for, for some years. Arguably, yeah. arguably one of the top two or three best divisions in boxing no doubt about that yeah. no doubt about that so we're just really excited about you know the future he's going to have another big opportunity in the fall you know in a big fight so again he's earned that you know and, and we just continue to just going you yeah, know he's, a, he's, a, he's an exciting fighter in the ring as well put him in the best situation to be successful for him and his family yeah yeah, his dad, he tells a story about his dad showing him boxing magazines and uh, during that time when they were struggling and he dreamt of being one of the people that would, had his picture on one of those boxing magazines. And of course, that has happened. You, uh, I, I want to go back to, you and Floyd Mayweather have had a long uh, a business relationship, but you know what? I, I want to go back and see if I can get you to tell me the first day you met Floyd Mayweather. Do you remember it, and how did it happen, and what were the circumstances of that? Yeah, I actually, I, I, I remember it because we were at Golden Gloves Gym, and um, I was with Jeff and and um, Roger. Yeah, I was there, and um, and Roger might have been working out. I know I had worked out earlier, but I was just at the gym. And and he, you know, he'd been talking about his nephew. His nephew was coming out there. And, and I want to say it was for the one of Tyson's fights. I'm pretty sure it was. Pretty sure it was. And you know, Floyd came through. He was, you know, he was just a, a, a young man who was flashy and flamboyant, even at that time, like 13 years old. But you know, he was, you know, he he could fight his butt off. And and his uncles were both of his uncles were so proud of him, and that's all he talked about. And then it was just, you know how you just, you, you meet somebody and you just establish a rapport. And then it was, you know, I've always been very close to both Roger and Jeff. And um, then, you know, we, we developed a relationship, you know, when, when obviously he got ready to turn pro. And it was just like, I started from the bottom, as we say, I did everything, you know, strength and conditioning, I did it all. You know, and, and we built a relationship and a bond. I'd already had, um, you know, uh, my master's degree and all that stuff. And, you know, and it just worked out. He, you know, he gave me an opportunity. I was loyal. And, you know, I worked very hard and earned everything that I got. And you guys started Mayweather Promotions, I think, in 2007. Uh, and that was a time when he kind of 
took it, uh, you know, was able to take more control over his own destiny. Uh, and was it, a lot of fighters do that. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, were there early days in forming the promotional company where you, it was trying and you were like, okay, we, you know, we need to get over this hurdle or that hurdle. Were there moments of uh, concern? Always, yeah. always. And that's <laughs> Every day, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it's all about though. Yeah. Fighting that, you know, the, the, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough, long, hard road. And we, you know, we put in that work, you know, it was, it was 20 hour days, 15 years straight, seven days a week, mm. you know, um, and that's, that's what it was. And, and you, you know, that whole middle part of like my life was just what I was doing. You, you know what I'm saying? It was like, you know, I didn't have no kids, no, you know, right. It was just not blinding. You, you were, it was a better, a time for you when you could be laser focused on something like that. I, I went, I had suffered through, you know, um, some, some terrible family tragedies, you know, and, um, and, and so it, it just allowed me just to be laser focused and, 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 you know, again, that's what it was. It was, it was like, it was a, a, a tough, long, hard road, you know, and, and, you know, we, we grinded, grinded from the bottom, from the very, very bottom. People say that you are, uh, were instrumental in kind of pushing Floyd to do other things that were a little bit beyond the boundaries of what he had done before to help build his brand. Did you see that uh, as an important thing to have him, whether it was the Dancing with the Stars or other things that he did, did you see it as important for him to kind of show some other facets? Yeah, that, that, that's, you know, that's what it was. It's, it's not a secret that I got him on Dance with the Stars and, and WWE. And but my thing was, is, is that, you know, um, when 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 you come on the scene, you you when I say come on the scene, you understand the you look at the landscape of boxing at that particular time, and you know you had, you know, the, the two major power players were Don and Bob at that right. time. You know, Al wasn't even in the business at that moment at that time, and then so you know, me and Al developed a relationship, and uh, we became super close, and we came up with a plan. And and so it was a lot. It, it was like, and, that, and that's what it, it, it took because, you, you know, you can't do this by yourself. Not one person. You know what I mean? Especially at this level. Right. You know, it, it's like because you 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 have to bounce things off of somebody else, and and you, and, and and it's just like you got the same goals, and everybody's focused on one mission. You know, and Floyd's locked in. We're locked in. And so when you look at the boxing landscape, you have to understand that they're the, the, the boxing periods, the diehard boxing fans, it's only just, it's, it's a smaller group of people who are consistently going to support right. the sport. Right. And in order to become a boxing star, you just have to kind of captivate that audience right there. And, but you can't really, are not going to grow beyond that if you're not thinking outside of the box. Right. And so, you, you know, I spent many nights and days and just thinking of ways that 
Floyd could be able to capture the mainstream audience because in order to build your brand, you know, and so it was just like, it was just, you know, a lot of creative thinking with just understanding if they like the dance with the stars, like, okay, there's over 20 million that are watching per week. Well, sure, sure we'll look at an opportunity to get in front of that audience. Yeah, right. That's that definitely don't follow boxing. And, and, you know, and, and that was, a, it was a very interesting story about that because I definitely recall this, like, cause you know, Floyd's always been the dude that's always locked in when it comes to his training. He do not play when it comes to his training. <laughs> he, 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 he tells his kids, his family, everybody, like when he's locked in, especially the closer you get to the fight, he's like, he don't deal with nothing. He just focused. And um, so it was the Ricky Hatton fight. And so I was talking with my, my contact and was working through, you, you know, sharing some information. An opportunity came about and, you know, we talked about it, me and Al, we talked about it. Said, this is a great opportunity, you know, and I explained to him, you know, to him what, you know, what we were doing and how we would go about it. And, and it was just being able to, for him to get in front of a, a, a different set of eyeballs, right. even came to the media because we never had access in the, you know, the, in the box, in the boxing world, we just have access to the boxing media. And if right. you have a big event, you, you, you know, you might have the AP and, you know, several other entities, but how would we be able to capture a whole different audience, you, you know, and be able to tie that into your fights? And that was the first step in doing that. And when I told him about, I said, you know, we're going to do this dance with the stars. He was like, well, I'm training for my fight. He said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this shit. Excuse me. He's like, I'm not doing that. And I was like, Floyd, look, trust me. This, we're going to do this. And this is going to connect with this. And this is going to connect with that. And then once you do this, this is going to lead to this. And he trusted. And, and I guarantee went from this to triple the game, to triple what he made. And he was like, he fell in love with the idea of thinking outside the box. And he's a genius within himself, like, uh, you know, just tapping into other markets and becoming friends with billionaires and things of that nature. And he's been great at doing all those kind of things. Floyd is the, the when it comes to being a marketer, he's the best ever, along with his, with his, his fight game, you know, right. TV. In, in both of those worlds. So able to connect those dots with that, it just leapfrogged him into the mainstream world, into conversations, you know, um, and, and it just started from there. It's very- it took, a, it took a great team though. Yeah, you have to work at it, that's for sure, and come up with these ways, as you point out, to get out of the niche boxing coverage and, and get into something that's more, uh, mainstream because boxing became more of a niche sport uh in totally and you know you, it, it's always a challenge to try and capture that bigger audience um before i let you go give me a uh your feeling about where the sport is now uh the product of boxing has been very good especially this year and, and for the last several years, for the most part, uh, you know, boxing doesn't make all the fights people want. That's just the way it is. Uh, but 
boxing has put a good product out there and it feels like there's a bit of a renaissance happening. Is that the way you look at it? Totally, totally. Because again, that the, the evolution of social media, you know, has, has played a major role with being able to, uh, to grow the sport to a certain degree, but to, to create conversations, you know, instantly right. about events that are coming up and you know so that's been played a major tool and you gotta get you kind of get past the middleman of the media telling you you can't you can reach this audience or you can't it's you reaching them directly yeah totally so you know i i think and and you and you've noticed that with with as it relates to these youtube fighters and and celebrity fights and things of that nature i i think that there's a lane for for everything, there are a lot of good fights that are being made. You know, um, you just have to continue, continue the momentum. I think that uh, Tank has played a major role with now with creating more excitement for this younger generation. You, you know what I'm saying? So they are yeah. actually he has created a following, and especially you look at Atlanta for an example. Like here is a young man that you know he's like selling out arenas you, you know what i mean he's selling out arenas with with a guy that that the base of fans don't even know they don't even know you know so he's been able to have that 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 ability to connect to this younger generation and i think that's going to kind of lead us you know for many many years because he's going to he gives these fans exactly what they want, and he's going to be the face of boxing. Mark my words. I'm always, you've always been been one of the nicest guys that anybody would ever meet in our sport. You, you know, um, and I've been a big fan of yours for, for many, many years. I can remember when Roger was fighting on ESPN. Yeah, right. I, fight then. I mean, it's, it's it's like I've been a fan for many, many years. I appreciate it. It's like honor even being, you know. I'm talking with you now. Um, well, I appreciate it. Yeah, those old, those days, and you, of course, a lot of people don't even know that you were an amateur boxer and that you 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 know the sport from the inside out. And uh, and those were those were interesting, great days. And uh, I remember those uh, those fights Roger had, exciting, exciting fights. Uh, you know, both we had some on ESPN and, of course, many on the championship level. And it was a lot of fun back then. And the other interesting thing is, you know, I had the 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 I got to do a lot of his fights, a lot of Jeff's fights. And then I actually did the very first Floyd Mayweather professional fight, which was that was out of Texas Station, I think. But Apodaca. Yeah, that's right. Oh, good. Yeah, of course, you, you would know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I appreciate the comments, and uh, I look forward to continue uh, covering anytime, anytime. You just let me know. All right. Thanks, Leonard. Thanks for having me. This part of the show is brought to you by Showtime, the home of Showtime Championship Boxing and Showbox. So I hope you enjoyed uh, that conversation with Leonard Ellerby. Played it a little bit close to the vest with the future of Gervonta Davis. I think probably because they aren't 100% sure just what comes next for this young dynamo and certainly one of the major stars in the sport of boxing. Lots of opportunities out there. We'll see which ones come to fruition for him. On this show, we like to do flashbacks where we go back and show you some of the 
great storytelling that was done by previous guests. And in this instance, we're going to go to Lennox Lewis, the great heavyweight champion, one of the great heavyweights of all time, and have him talk about yet another great heavyweight, Mike Tyson. Lewis and Tyson have had a very long and complicated relationship over the years. And the interesting thing to me is how it started. Lennox explains. You know, it all started obviously in 1983 at the World Junior Championships in Santo Domingo when I actually won the, the tournament and the Americans said that, hey, you didn't box the best. And I'm like, who's the best? And they said, <laughs> it's, you know, Mike Tyson, he doesn't like taking planes. His manager, custom model, doesn't like taking planes. And me and my trainer at the time, we were saying, well, who is this guy, man? We need to find out who this guy mm -hmm. is because a lot of people didn't want to spar me either. Yeah, so I'm sure. We found each other in that sense. And um, we, uh, me and my trainer, bless his soul, Arnie Beam, um, elected to drive up there. We drove up there. We met Custom Auto. We stayed at the house. Uh, I met Mike, lovely guy, uh, until, until we got in the ring. You know, that's, <laughs> that's when the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde came out in, in, in Mike. I, you know, I thought he, he first he courted me and sweeted me up and then tried to beat me up. So it, it, gave, it gave me a lesson as well. You know, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. So I'm in his territory, so I got to be careful. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was that 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 was then. And then he went off off to do his illustrious pro career. And I was still amateurs at the time, so I was focused on amateurs. He was focused on pro. And um, I didn't know if we were gonna actually meet, but what, when we were sparring at that time, uh, Customado in the last round said, "Mike, don't you do that? You're gonna face this man one day." <laughs> and I'm like. That was always ringing yeah. in the back of my head. And uh, I wondered if it would ever come true, and it did. So Custom Auto's words came true. So some intriguing uh, recollections by Lennox Lewis about the early days uh, he had with Mike Tyson. You can go check that full episode out, of course, along with others uh, on this, our uh, Albernstein Unplugged page and take a look at some of the shows that maybe you've missed or maybe some that you want to revisit. Well, when you look at those shows, you will see my co-host, Trip Mitchell, there uh, asking me the important questions that you have asked on Twitter, at Al Bernstein. Let me uh, invite him in now. Hey, Trip, how are you? I am great, Al, and uh, we've got some great questions this week, but real quick, of the heavyweights that you've had a chance to interview, and we've had Larry Holmes on and Lennox Lewis, what, who are the best storytellers? Who are the guys who really just regale you with fun stuff? Oh, that's intriguing. You know, uh, uh, of course, um, Larry, I thought, actually, Larry is a really good storyteller, and we demonstrated that on the show uh, that we had. Um, and, you know, there, there was a series of heavyweight champions who, uh, weren't super fa as famous as some others, but uh, Lehman Brewster was a great storyteller. Chris Bird, who held the heavyweight championship for a little while. Uh, they're among a couple of the guys that are very good at talking about boxing and telling some great stories. And uh, the heavyweight division has certainly had its share of that, that's for sure. No question. Well, let's get to the first one. And uh, this is from Gaston Peters, and he asked, 
Aren't boxers too obsessed with keeping their perfect record with zero losses? In, M in MMA, there are people with multiple losses that are superstars, but in boxing, the idea that a loss is the end of the world, he goes on from there. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, I was just having this discussion with uh, Mauro Ronaldo, my uh, broadcasting mate on Showtime, who, of course, has done years and years of MMA and continues to do it now on uh, Showtime doing the Bellator series. And we were talking about this very topic that we thought that uh, the influence of MMA would make the world of boxing in general less fixated on this idea of being undefeated, which in the last 20 years, uh, boxing has been for sure, 20, 25 years. And it looked like it was starting to take root, but then it's kind of shifting back a little bit to people being so concerned about whether they're undefeated or not. It's one of the things in boxing that I think impedes the sport because uh, there is nothing wrong with having a loss. You know, the greatest in the past all had losses uh, with the, you know, notable exception of Rocky Marciano. But in general, Everybody loses at some point. Floyd Mayweather did not lose during his, uh, his long career. And some would suggest that his model is the one that a lot of the current fighters are trying to follow. But it's it, mostly it's unrealistic to expect that. And so by being a, a quote unquote for marketers and for managers and for promoters afraid of uh, that getting that loss and, and uh, blemishing your record, Sometimes great matches are not made, and I, I think fans are pre, are more forgiving than the hierarchy of boxing would understand that they might be about a loss. And I don't, you know, this uh, question referenced the fighters themselves. I'm not sure it's always the fighters. I think a lot of times it's other people as well who are concerned that that loss will somehow uh, create a stigma around a fighter, when in reality it really doesn't. Okay, our next question, and this comes from Boxing Profiles. Good morning. How are you? Do you think that Benavides could win a Canelo fight? Yeah, David Benavides uh, against Canelo Alvarez is a fight at uh, 168 that is, I think, the most entertaining fight that could be made at that weight, and I think one of the most entertaining fights that could be made in boxing. Uh, now, interestingly, Benavides lately has talked about fighting uh, Jamal Charlo, who's now who's down at 160, because he feels that will make the Canelo fight even bigger. Uh, I think Benavides feeling like if he can pat out his resume with a big win like that and maybe build his profile a little more, he thinks he'll get more money when he fights Canelo. Um, of course, that's presuming he could beat Jamal Charlo. And Jamal, I, understandably, down to the 106, he's very comfortable at that weight, and he moved up from 154. So he's not under any obligation to go to 168 and fight Benavides or anyone. But if the Benavides-Canelo fight should take place, which all boxing, boxing fans are hoping, it's a fascinating matchup. Does Benavides have a chance to beat Canelo? Absolutely. The reason he has a chance to win is because he is so busy. Uh, he has one of the most potent offenses of any boxer in the sport. And while I don't know if he can hurt Canelo or knock him out or knock him down, which is seems almost impossible, doesn't it? Because Canelo has this iron chin that is really pretty amazing. It doesn't appear that anyone has been able to hurt him. Uh, but even if he can't, the fact that Benavides is such a volume puncher, 
if and the fact that Alvarez sometimes has lulls in his fights where rounds can go by without him punching as much as he maybe should, you could see Benavidez winning rounds from him. Now, uh, the big question will be, can Canelo hurt him, which he might be able to. And of course, if he could, that would uh, upset this whole scenario for Benavides. Uh, if the fight were to go 12 rounds and be decided based on a decision, you have to think that in some ways, well, in a realistic way, Benavides has a, a, a better chance because he's such a volume puncher. But let's be honest. Not too many decisions go against Canelo Alvarez in the sport of boxing. You know, he's he's gotten the benefit of a lot of uh, close decisions. So uh, I think Benavides certainly has a chance. Would he win? I don't know. I'm absolutely 100% on board with the idea of that fight. Certainly hope it can happen. Well, one thing I'm on, the bo- on board with is our next guest, uh, Rex Chapman, uh, who will be on our next show. And uh, he, of course, is the terrific basketball player from Kentucky, played on the Phoenix Suns, among other teams in the NFL, had a very fine NFL or NBA career, not NFL. He wasn't a football player, an NBA <laughs> career. And uh, and uh, he is the king of Twitter, right? I mean, who Trip? who doesn't know Rex Chapman that's ever been on Twitter? Well, Chris, who knows nothing about sports, our producer, director, and Graham Poopa said, oh, he's he's got a big following. And that shocked me. Yeah, Rex, is, uh, he's put a lot of effort and time into Twitter. We're going to talk to him about that. We're going to talk to him about his NBA career uh, and his, his basketball years. And also his life story, which is a, uh, you know, a, a kind of a poignant tale. Uh, he's very open about issues he had with uh, prescription drugs uh, and opioid uh, addiction. And, uh, and we'll talk about that and how he rallied back from that to create this excellent life for himself. So our next show, uh, Rex Chapman will be on board here on Albertine Unplugged, and I hope you will join us. We'll see you next time. 